Well, again, we are looking at Isaiah chapter 12 as we, as we look at uh, joy this morning and, uh, and we reflect on It's a Wonderful Life, the, the popular um, Christmas movie that has been around for, for years. And we look at becoming alive with joy. What is it that defines joy? What, what, when, what do you think about when you think about joy? Is it how much happiness or how much pleasure that you might have? Is it, is it based on your experience? Is it a frame of mind? Is it a philosophy? What happens when our, our expectations of seeking joy are not met? Do we get depressed, discouraged? Do we want to give up? When, when, when things are, aren't running smooth in our lives, do we give up on finding joy? In, in the famous Christmas story, It's a Wonderful Life, George Bailey finds himself ready to give up on finding joy or happiness or whatnot. In fact, he gets to the point that he's so low and he, he wants to take his own life. He, he doesn't feel as though life is worth living. He even says he wishes he was not alive. And of course, therein ensues the story. He, he finds him, him, his, his way to the bridge. And, and of course, then Clarence comes and, as his angel and leads him on a... Uh, some, a few, several visions to see what it would be like if he was not born for him to reflect and to discover what life is really about. Many of us, I'm afraid, have, have given up on finding this idea of joy. We just toil our way through life trying to get to the next day. It is because I believe sometimes we fail to understand fully what joy really is. We've been socially conditioned to believe that joy is the same as happiness. Those, those two words, happy and joy, become interchanged and we think as a society in order to have joy in our lives or in our hearts, we must be happy. I'm afraid that that is way too low of an understanding of what joy really is. As you heard in our Advent reading, I think it was Cheryl that might have been the one that was reading that portion who, who, who pointed out that, that again, joy and, and happiness are not the same. Happiness is something that can come and go. It, it's, it's an emotion. It, again, is based on experience. But, but joy is something that reaches down into our, our hearts or into our souls. It, it is a state of being. It's a state of existence. In other words, our existence either is defined by joy... Or it's defined by something that is seeking joy. Which is what leads us to all kinds of, of worldly 
things or ways to try to supplement that state of being, that state of existence. Which is why the human condition is what it is. Plainly spoken, becoming alive with joy is about understanding that it is salvation and a relationship with Jesus Christ that should be enough for finding this idea of joy in our lives. It should be enough to sustain us no matter what state of happiness we might be in. Whether life is going well or whether life is tough. It's about understanding that salvation equals new life and that new life is found in a relationship with God. It is not merely that God saves. God is salvation. And apart from Him, there is no salvation. So apart from Him, there is no joy. Before we can ever become alive with joy, we have to understand why we have salvation and thus joy. Verse 1 in our text states, in that day you will say, verse 4 says, in that day you will say, Several times Isaiah here in this chapter points out that there is a day coming to look forward to. You see, the Israelites have experienced many days of dread during the exile. But this idea of that day indicates there is something to hope for. There is something to anticipate for the Israelites. In other words, their condition will not remain the same. Something is going to change in that day. As Christians, we have a day to hope for. We have an in that day. A day in which we will eternally reside in the kingdom of God in heaven. And in spite of the days of dread on this earth and in this life, we experience joy because of the sheer hope of what is to come. What allows us to be able to deal with the dread of this life, to work and toil when we have so much to hope for? Why, why not just jump right into that which we have hoped for? It has to do with what we are called to do here on this earth. The responsibilities that we've been given coming to the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is and what He offers. As a, as a young boy, there was one thing that you could not say about me, and that was that I was a procrastinator. Now, my brother, he was a procrastinator. He had it down to an art form. I, I tell you, he could procrastinate with the best of them and, and come out on top. I don't know how he did it. He still probably manages to do it. Drives me crazy. Because I'm on the other end of the spectrum. I can't seem to enjoy life or be happy when I have all kinds of responsibilities face, facing me. Or, or I have, when I, again, when I was young, I'd have chores and, and homework to do. And of course, 
uh, we had certain guidelines, our, the, the law of the, the land, as it would be in the Jones household. Uh, but for me, I, my parents never had to get on me about doing my chores before uh, going out to play because I, I knew that that time playing outside was going to be that much more enjoyed when I had all the chores behind me. And so we think about what the Israelites have faced in the exile and how they can somehow find joy in the midst of all that they're experiencing and the, the hard work that's going to take place before them. And so we can, as Christians, endure the journey of choring through this life because we as those who know salvation, who know Jesus Christ, who know of the joy to come, we endure because we know what is to come. We have hope. It's hard to experience joy without hope. Those who become hopeless, thus, usually cannot find joy. The two are... Uh, mutually exclusive. They, they go together. Those who become hopeless find themselves in the place that George Bailey found himself. A desire to never have been born, to never have experienced the, the, the lot that they face. But because as Christians, we know of salvation, we we should be fully aware of what is to come, what is to hope for. It is only through recognizing why and what we were saved from that we can rightfully refocus our attention upon how much we have received and how much the world would say we lack, which leads us in turn to understanding the situation that our soul faces. <laughs> A situation that is presented in verses 1 and 2 of our text this morning. In that day, I, you will say, I will praise you, O Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away. And you have confronted, comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Verses 1 and 2 point out that our sin is an offense to God. And this offense cannot be dismissed. It cannot be dismissed any more than a person who in a fit of rage kicks a chair and expects his toe not to hurt. And then a few choice words to follow. We've all been there. For this reason, the Jews understood the principle when they said it, it, it is the blood that makes atonement in Leviticus 17.11, the early Christians understood it as well. As it says in Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sin. You see, salvation is the atoning sacrifice that has been made by redirecting our offense to God to another. In the Old Testament, it was to the animal sacrifice. In the New Testament, we come to know this in the form of Jesus Christ. And that's why we celebrate the joy of our salvation. 
Again, most plainly put, salvation is essentially our sinful existence having stumped our toes by our actions of kicking about in the flesh, having the pain redirected to Jesus Christ, and then experiencing so much more than we deserve. So you see, salvation gives us the reason to give praise and thanks to God. Not because He deserves or, or because He wants our, or He is some needy God that just has to have praise and thanks and adoration, but because we know what He has done for us. And because we are the ones who have need to give Him something. Again, make no mistake about it. It is not God who is the one in need in the relationship. It is us. And so when we acknowledge that, we can get to the first point of accepting God's grace and accepting the salvation He offers us through Jesus Christ and starting that relationship with Him. Receiving life when we deserve death, that should put a song in our hearts. A song of joy in, in everyone's mouth. This is why verse 3 points out that with joy we will draw water from the wells of salvation. It's a perfect illustration, especially for, for these Israelites who were in a land that was very arid. It was very dry. It didn't have that much uh, moisture. It didn't have that much rain. It it's definitely not like we've had this past fall. It seems like almost every other day, especially in November, we had rain and rain and rain and more rain. But if you remember back in the summer how dry it was, lakes were drying up. They were all out over the area, standing in dry lake beds. How quickly the landscape can change when you introduce that water, the nourishment, that, that soil and the the foliage and the trees and the bushes and the flowers that, that they need for survival. I mean, think about the effects of, of no water. It's something that I don't think... Sorry, Sarah, but she's gotten to understand when it comes to having a green thumb. It's not green. She doesn't have a green thumb. She kills every plant that comes into our house. The only plant, We have one plant that we have managed to save... It's one that doesn't need water, but like once a week. So it tends to make it, but that's about the only one. Her mom's tried to give her plants. My mom's tried to give her plants. We don't have any flowers in the, in the front yards. Just not something she's very passionate about. That's fine. I don't, it doesn't bother me one way or the other. But have you ever come to a plant that maybe had dried up and, and it's looking pretty puny and weak and the, the leaves are kind of droopy and, and then you take some water and you introduce the water there to the soil and what happens in just a short few moments it's really quite extraordinary the plant just starts perking right on up I can remember you know, the last couple of years we didn't, haven't done it yet this year but we, I would go out and buy some poinsettias and I would put them out and again they would get a little bit droopy because somebody would forget to water them. And I would come along and we would finally give them some water. And again, they would perk right up and, and look beautiful once more. 
See, what water is to parched earth, God's delivering presence is to the one who is oppressed and held down by the sin and the bondage that it brings. And just as the leaves on a tree or a flower perk up and and almost raise up to the sky and, and almost an expression of true joy, we should be compelled to do the same when we are confronted with the knowledge of what Jesus has done for us. The point being that when we experience such joy, we are compelled to express that joy. Verse 4 says, Give thanks to the Lord, call on His name. Verse 5 says, Sing to the Lord, for He has done glorious things. Verse 6 says, Shout aloud and sing for joy. To call, to sing, to shout upon the name of the Lord. Not whisper, to shout. To worship Him on the basis of the faithful delivering character that is revealed in the salvific behavior of sending His Son, Jesus Christ. When Abraham had been brought to the promised land, he, in Genesis 12, 8, called upon the name of the Lord and gave praise. An essential part of becoming alive with joy is expressing that joy. Naturally, when we have experienced something good in our lives, we want to share it. There is a feeling that sometimes joy is not complete until it is shared. Several years ago, so this will maybe date it a little bit, I got addicted to the game Brick Breaker on my phone. And... And I won't go into all the details of how the game's played, but it's a little game on, your, on the cell phone, and I would play it hours upon hours upon hours trying to get through the, all the levels and score as much, many points as I could score. And finally, late one night at home, I, I finished. But it was so late that Sarah was asleep. My dad was playing the game as well, and we were kind of talking back and forth every now and then. He, it's too late to call him. So I did something a little selfish, I guess. I, I, when I got in the bed that night, I made a lot of noise, pulled the covers, and kind of, you know, wiggled around the bed. And Sarah finally kind of perked up and kind of rolled over. I said, oh, you're awake. <laughs> I got something to share with you. Hmm. What? I, I, I finished Brick Breaker. I got all the way through, and... I scored such, 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 I don't know how many points. I scored such, such, such. That's great. And she rolled over. Very unenthusiastic. But I felt better. Because I shared the joy. This story might seem a little trivial, but the truth is that not everyone will share in the joy of our salvation. Not everyone, the scripture is very plain about this. Not everyone is going to get it. Not everyone is going to receive it. But some will. 
And the byproduct of sharing the joy of our salvation is that others might get to share in the same joy. Notice in verse 4, it says, Make known upon the nations what He has done. Also in verse 5, Let this be known to all the world. Speaking of the, the joy of the glorious things that God has done. Not only will those who experience becoming alive with joy, the joy of our salvation, commit themselves to God, but they will also want those around them to know what He is like and what He has done for us and what He can do for them. This Advent season, what are you doing to bring joy into the lives of others? If again you are relegated to thinking that life is somehow about achieving happiness, you may find yourself spinning your wheels. It's truly a wonderful life to live when we become alive with joy. When we experience the joy of our salvation, we gain hope for a new day. But I'm afraid we have way too many Christians, way too many churches, who seem more like they're in mourning, as though Jesus is still stuck on the cross. only taking time around a few weeks around Easter to celebrate His resurrection. Instead, what our churches should look like and what our, our, our Christian fellowship should look like is a reflection of what Isaiah chapter 12 as a whole appears to be. This is not a quiet chapter. Again, this is not about whispering the things that God has done. It's about shouting and singing and giving thanks. Sometimes it's hard to look around and see a true representation of the reality that again, Jesus did get off the cross. And we celebrate that more than just a couple of weeks out of the year. It's not a day to sit quietly and whisper what God did in our lives this past week and that past week. There are so many things going on in this world, so much pain, so much heartache. And oh, what our, our world would look like if we would become alive with joy. If we would become a people who live as a reflection of what God has done in our lives. But first we have to come to know it. To accept it. Christ was born to bring salvation to the world. To bring life and life that is worth living. When George Bailey finally finds the hope and the joy worth living in the story, It's a Wonderful Life, 
He says, let me live again. Let me live again. God, please let me live again. Do you wish to live again? To live with the hope of salvation? Of a day that is yet to come? Become alive with joy. Express the wonderful life that God has given us through the ability to have a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we, as we close our service this morning, we admit that there may be things in our, in our lives, areas in which, we, in which we live in a constant state of trying to fill our hearts, to fill our lives with, with things that, that only seem to send us further in despair or, or further into the feeling as though it's, it's too hard and it's too, it's too much to live the life that you have laid out for us. Help us to become the people who should, as Isaiah points out in chapter 12, singing and shouting and crying out all the wonderful things that, that God has done for us, that God is doing for us. Help our lives to become a reflection of the joy of our salvation, of knowing that it is settled, that we know that there is a day that is yet to come, that a day that, that we hope for, that we anticipate, that all will be well with our souls and happiness and trying to fill our hearts and fill our lives with, with the things of this world will become so feeble and so unimportant because we are in your presence. Because we are in the presence of the Almighty. The problem, Lord, I, I believe that we all struggle with is not realizing that by having a relationship with Jesus Christ here and now, we have the opportunity to live in a, in a state of joy, in a state of being in existence that expresses something wonderful to those that are around us, something that is contagious. Something that other people won't. Help us to live the life that you've called us to live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.